0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: The issue of the impact of alcohol abuse in Alice Springs has been firmly in the spotlight. Today, we head to Laverton in WA, which is struggling with similar problems.
2: You know, mob, they're supposed to be cultural people, but they don't care. They don't care about this mm. earth here. Dessert that we stand on and our trees where our dream time comes through and it's it's all because of this alcohol
1: and we look into the curious case of the birdsville jigger inquiry
0: taking over here is echo point and kicks away sharan to the inside can't go with echo point and then we've got tony's reward i'm sinead and
1: mangan and this is australia wide coming to you from Wadja Country. And so you're putting all that pressure on the hospital system just for prescriptions and for painkillers. Like many people living in the country in Australia, Warwick woman Emma Lenz has had no choice but to head to her local emergency department to seek medical treatment because she could not get an appointment with her GP and she is sick of it. Her story is not unfamiliar. We've heard time and time again on Australia Wide about how people in the country regularly miss out on quality health care. This week alone, the Royal Flying Doctors released a report to say women in remote areas were more likely to die 19 years younger than their city counterparts. Now, today, the ABC is launching the Regional Health Project, an initiative that's asking the nearly 30% of Australians who live outside the big cities to share their stories of trouble accessing the health system when they need it. To talk more about it, I'm joined by regional health reporter Stephen Schubert, who joins me from Alice Springs. Now, Stephen, you've been gathering stories from all across the country about people's experiences of the regional health system, one of which was Emma Lenz, who we heard a moment ago. What was her situation?
0: G'day. Yeah, Emma's story is really, I think, symbolic of the greater problems with uh, rural and regional health. So she had shingles, uh, which is a really uh, painful virus that, that causes these blisters or sores on people's bodies, particularly on hands and arms. But the good news is that shingles can be treated with an antiviral. They don't treat the underlying virus, but they do help the symptoms go away. The thing with that is to be effective, it needs to be caught within three days of symptoms appearing and that can create a really big problem for people, uh, in rural regional Australia who just simply can't get a GP appointment, um, So this is a a, a real problem, and it's caused a whole heap of problems for Emma. She's now um, homeless, which she attributes to not being able to work because of her sickness. It's had a whole bunch of knock-on effects for her. Here's a little bit of what she had to say.
1: None of the GPs in town are taking any new patients, so um, we've got a lot of people who've been moving into town that won't have access to a GP. I found that it would often take around three weeks to get an appointment, which is really difficult when your hand's blistering and you need to get it swabbed to find out what it is Um, and then you have to wait three weeks and by then the blisters are gone so um, yeah it's just sort of this cycle of trying to get appointments um, if it's really bad going to the hospital but then they're really overwhelmed and you might wait six or seven hours just to have them refuse to swab them. Emma Lenz from Warwick in south-east Queensland. Now, she's describing there, Stephen, that difficulty of getting into a GP and then that difficulty then when you finally get into a GP that the symptoms that you had are no longer, in her case, visible. It's not just the GPs that people are struggling to see, though, is it?
0: Absolutely not. It's right across the healthcare system from uh, allied health workers, people like physios, occupational therapists, speech therapists, uh, to nurses... And even hospitals as well. Um, I spoke to one woman who spent about four hours drifting in and out of consciousness on the ramp to Lismore Base Hospital. And she actually had an internal bleeding ulcer that was potentially life-threatening. Now, of course, ramping happens in big cities as well. But if you're in a region, you, you don't have another hospital that's within a drive if you really urgently need care. Also specialists is one of specialist doctors is one of the big issues coming up. Now a lot of people living in rural regional Australia just accept it as a fact of life that they're probably not going to be able to see a specialist in their hometown. But the strain that having to travel to see specialists regularly puts on people is enormous. I've spoken to a woman, Daisy Williams, who lives in Broken Hill in far west New South Wales. She has to go to Adelaide uh, once every you know, month or two to see specialists for a handful of pro- uh, medical problems she's got. And she also has to do it for her son. So it's a double whammy for her. Mm. And it's putting an, an enormous strain on her. Now, financially, she gets some of the money back, Um, not all of the travel costs, but some of it, but she has to find the money up front, and she's living hand-to-mouth pretty much, uh, getting groceries bought by family members, but it's also putting a huge strain on her family life. Here's what she said.
1: Frustrated? I mean, I get it that there's some of it, like the more complex neurology that they can't do here, but things like the kidney stent that I had put in in December. I don't understand why they couldn't do that in a place like Broken Hill. I got that in December. I had to get flown to Adelaide just before Christmas and I was really worried that I would miss Christmas with my family. My son was really upset that he wouldn't have me there. I mean I'm a single mother. A frustrated Daisy Williams, who lives in Broken Hill, and she was speaking to our reporter, Stephen Schubert. Huge question, Stephen, but why is it so difficult to get quality care in regional Australia?
0: That is the million-dollar question. Mm. Obviously, distances, small population bases in some towns, that does make it hard for particularly specialist services to to get there. We know that GPs are uh, harder to find in some parts of rural or regional Australia. Interestingly, so the health department breaks up um, in the health industry. We talk about remoteness categories of um, different towns in Australia and sort of larger regional towns actually have more GPs than big cities for the whole of Australia. But that includes a lot of places on the coastal fringe. Uh, one person quipped to me that Harvey Bay in Queensland probably has the most doctors per capita in Australia because people want to live there because it's a beautiful part of the world. So, But what we see once you go to smaller towns and remote and very remote places like Alice Springs, where I live, is the number of GPs per 100,000 people is well below what it is in the cities. And in remote and very remote Australia, it's going down. And this is alarming because some research from the Royal Australian College of GPs recently showed that more GPs living in uh, rural parts of Australia, they're more likely to be planning to retire in the next 10 years than GPs in the city and those people just aren't getting replaced. So this is a crisis that is only going to get worse.
1: Now today the ABC is launching the regional health project so what is that hoping to achieve Stephen?
0: Yeah, so we are calling to uh, anyone who lives outside the big cities in Australia to share their story about accessing the health system from where they live. The question we're asking at the moment is, tell us about a time when you really needed medical care and you couldn't get it. And what did that mean for you? So we've already had some responses, things like uh, you know, UTIs, urinary tract mm. infections, which um, can be extremely painful, should be able to be treated by a GP appointment just with a simple dose of uh, antibiotics. But if you can't get care, the health consequences of a UTI can be really, really severe and serious. So, you know, stories like that, but really whatever. It doesn't have to be doctor-related, allied health. It could be nurses. We'd also love to hear from people in the health industry itself to get their thoughts on what's going wrong. So we've got a really simple way to do this. There's a website. It is abc.net.au slash regional health. There's a form there. It will take you less than five minutes to fill out and what it will allow us to do is get a great picture of uh, what's going on where i mean i live in alice springs so i can't cover i can't know what's going on all around australia and it will allow us to keep doing stories not just like you know the, the standard kind of rural health stories we do but Stories on national platforms that will keep this issue alive and keep it in front of the people who make decisions about the health system.
1: I have to ask, Stephen, can that information remain confidential if
0: yes. if the person wants to? Absolutely. It's, it's all 100% confidential. Uh, it will be seen by me and a small, very, very small number... Um, team in the ABC and we will not be sharing it with anyone else. Stephen Schubert, good luck collecting
1: all those stories. I'd imagine they're going to pile in. Thanks for talking to Australia Wide. Thanks so much.
3: You're listening to Australia Wide
4: on ABC Radio.
1: Yapoon woman Inez Goves is no stranger to pain. The central Queensland teacher has endometriosis and despite three surgeries and spending thousands on medication, pain has become a constant in her life. Her last option is surgery, which will leave her infertile at 25 and has no guarantees that the agony will actually end. As reporter Erin Semler found out, her scenario is all too common.
3: There's a lot of like very sharp pains, but there's also numb pains that just stay there and ache at you the whole
4: day. Headaches that are just debilitating. And sometimes I just can't walk. Inez Goves is a high school art teacher in central Queensland, but her everyday routine isn't the norm. I have to wake up, assess my pain,
3: assess whether or not it's worth losing an entire day of pay. And then I have to assess like what painkillers I can take that day enough for me to be able
4: to work because that is my favorite thing in the entire world. The 25 year old has endometriosis. Inez had her first period at 11, started contraceptives for hormone control at 14 and was formally diagnosed with severe endometriosis at 18.
3: So I was 20 when I got my first surgery and my endometriosis was on my uterus, my ovaries. um, It had stuck my bowel and my uterus together so they had to pry it apart and like cut off all of the stuff in there. Still after that they had me on contraceptives.
4: Inez had a second surgery soon after her first one. Surgery results are unpredictable and aren't the same for everyone. I think I had like a year
3: of being like what I call my free. (laughs) I was free like I was traveling I did all of this stuff I was able to get like four Scholarships and go study in Italy and teach in Fiji and I did all this, like, amazing stuff and I loved that part of my life.
4: When Inez came back to Australia, still pain-free, she bought a house and a therapy dog for her PTSD. But she started feeling awful again. My...
3: Mental health was just going really bad and the hormones were just like killing
4: my body. But Inez says her specialist dismissed her pain, so her friend recommended another doctor.
3: I had one 10-minute consult with him and he was
4: like, let's book you in for a surgery. The endo was affecting a few organs and this time the surgery didn't make her feel better. Inez was desperate for a solution. And
3: I was like, I'm ending up in hospital because I'm like suicidal because I'm in so much pain.
4: She was then prescribed an implant called Zoladex, which controls the production of certain hormones in the body.
3: People who are on it long term or on like a high dose can start losing their hair and they can and it puts you into menopause at
4: 25, which I think is hilarious. If the implant doesn't really help things in the next couple of months, her next option might be a hysterectomy. Pretty much like my
3: choice is being in pain for the next... 15 years until I can elect to have a hysterectomy um, or being in pain for the next however many years until I have a baby naturally, which could be, like, we don't know. We don't know how long that would take. Or have a hysterectomy, hopefully be
4: without pain, and then just adopt. But there's no guarantee surgery to remove the uterus will mean the end of her pain. There's just, like, so much uncertainty
3: around it. And that's where I get really mad with modern medicine.
4: Mike Armour is an Associate Professor in Sexual and Reproductive Health at Western Sydney University.
5: There is always work going on looking at especially repurposing other drugs to see if they're effective in endometriosis. Also, like I said, a lot of work going into medicinal cannabis, for example, as a pain and symptom reliever. But really, it's most likely that until we fully understand what causes endometriosis, we're still going to be struggling to get effective treatments.
4: While there's been progress, he says there's still more to be done.
5: Endometriosis affects about one in nine women and those assigned female at birth in Australia. So, you know, has similar prevalence rates to things like diabetes, but up until recently, or even now, you know, only gets a fraction of the funding. So more funding is really what we need because all of this research costs money.
4: Unable to do the job she loves because of intense pain, Inez has just been forced to put her house up for rent and move back in with her parents. There still aren't good options for women. Like, I'm 25 and I have to make these decisions
3: myself. Like, I should be out partying with my friends or doing whatever the hell I want to, like travelling, which I can't do, or, yeah, like that sort of stuff. Not being at home and in
1: pain. And as Goves, ending that story from Erin Semler. And if that chat has raised any issues for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or you can visit the Endometriosis Australia website.
2: You're listening to ABC Australia Wide.
1: Now we're heading to Laverton in the northern goldfields of Western Australia, where in recent weeks there's been trouble on the streets. The local police have been working with the licensee of the only pub and bottle shop in town to introduce temporary restrictions on takeaway sales. And if you ask the locals, the restrictions have worked. And now many want them to become permanent. Jared Lucas filed this report from Laverton.
2: All the land is sacred, but the way the mob going, alcohol has become the sacred thing. that Laverton Desert Inn has
5: become the sacred site now. That's Wongatha Elder Janice Scott. We're standing in a dry creek bed only a few hundred metres from the centre of Laverton. It's known as Skull Creek, a sacred part of the traditional landowner's dreamtime story and it's been littered with dozens of empty beer cans and bottles of spirits after a day of heavy drinking.
2: It's been happening for years. And this is the first time, everything getting exposed. They just do this everywhere. They come in camp, get alcohol. You know, M-O-P, they're supposed to be cultural people, but they don't care. They don't care about this earth here, this earth that we stand on, and the trees, where our dream time comes through. And it's, it's all because of this alcohol.
5: Miss Scott is one of several Indigenous leaders calling for tougher liquor restrictions in the remote WA mining town amid an increase in alcohol-fuelled violence. That's
2: why we're trying to get a restriction put in place that can work, not just one or two days off now. We're going to put something in permanently.
5: The town's only pub and bottle shop, the Desert Inn Hotel, has introduced temporary restrictions on takeaway sales twice since Australia Day, lasting between 24 to 72 hours.
2: It's pretty bad, you know, our kids can't even go downtown without being humbugged or abused by, you know, drunks.
5: Miss Scott's granddaughter, Sarah Sullivan, said she had a great childhood growing up in Laverton, but her children are experiencing something far different.
2: It's a really scary place at night. I've uh, I've come to you know, where I have to tell my kids, you know, don't go downtown because if you go downtown there's a risk that they might get, you know, rocks thrown at them or sworn at. So yeah, it's become a pretty scary place at night, especially when the grog is full strength and they're buying cartons after cartons and bottles after bottles. You don't know what's gonna happen, especially to the children, you know, down the street when somebody's really highly intoxicated.
5: A daily ritual in Laverton is the countdown to midday when the bottle shop opens. Last Tuesday, there was about 20 people waiting for the door to open. In 20 minutes, we saw um, close to 10 blocks, and God knows how many bottles of Jim Beam um, going out that door. That's Buganoo Aboriginal Corporation CEO Marty Sealander. That people are now being challenged for their, you know, their behaviour in the community, and and it's around alcohol. People from the community have had enough. Police in the town are heavily outnumbered, currently below their posted strength of 14 struggling to keep the peace. We do need some form of um, strategic planning in our community to tackle some of these issues. And it's not just around alcohol, it's around housing, employment, um, health. Um, There's a whole range of issues that are affecting people at the moment. The temporary restrictions, which have been put in place on an ad hoc basis banned the sale of spirits and limited beer sales to a six-pack per person per day.
0: Obviously restrictions affect everybody, not just um, the, the troublemakers in town, but we work very closely with the police, and if there's going to be trouble, we do the best that we can to ensure that you know there's not going to be that much ramifications at the end of the night.
5: The hotel publican Rob Wedge, who also sits on the local council, said his staff keep a daily list of everyone who's purchased alcohol and they'll often restrict sales from repeat customers. Mr Wedge has lived in Laverton for 32 years and says the alcohol problems are nothing new. I think it's rife everywhere. You know, it's just
0: because uh, there are remote communities where they come into town. Um, but I think that that's relevant, whether it's Laverton, Leonora or whether it's, as we know, Alice Springs, but... Um, The problem's always been there.
5: The Shire of Laverton President Pat Hill blames the recent unrest on the end of the Federal Government's cashless debit card. The card, which was trialled in Laverton from 2018, quarantined welfare payments onto a debit card that could not be used to buy alcohol or for gambling.
2: It's an issue that was um, curtailed and contained while the cashless debit card was um, in place. And um, since that's been listed, it's just gone back to normal the way it was prior to the cashless debit card. It's uh, these decisions these people make in Canberra have huge effects out here, and while they're over there, they don't see any of this. And I don't think half of them care about it.
5: Wongatha elder Janice Scott has been painting the story of Laverton and the alcohol struggles of its indigenous people in a traditional Aboriginal artwork. She says she's desperate for younger generations to embrace their culture instead of alcohol.
2: The cycle need to be broken, so these kids look at alcohol as, it's, as not being normal. Drug's not normal. That's not normal. Part of my life never was.
1: Manga the Elder, Janice Scott, ending that story from Jared Lucas in Laverton in the Northern Goldfields.
0: Saran the inside, can't go with Echo Point. And then we've got Tony's reward and Bernie's tiger, but well clear as Echo Point. 50 metres left to go. Good on you, Brookie. Good on you, uh, Todd. Echo Point. Thank-
1: the race call from the April race of the Birdsville Cup last year, and it's held every year in remote Western Queensland. Later in the year, a second race was surrounded in controversy because one of the favourites didn't end up running. And the reason why has been subject to an inquiry that's recently wrapped up. It all revolved around the use of what they call a jigger in the business and our reporter, Danielle O'Neill, has been following it closely. First up,
6: Danielle, what's a jigger? Well, it's essentially an electrical device, kind of like a taser that sends a electrical shock through a horse. Now, they're widely illegal and they are considered against animal welfare. So they're widely banned in Queensland country racing and, and the use of them is a cause of controversy. Well, this has
1: been called the Birdsville Jigger Inquiry. It turns out that one of these jiggers was used, but
6: how on earth did they pick it up? Because they're very, very small things. Essentially, a photo emerged online on social media showing a jockey holding what appeared to be a jigger on a horse during track work just a few days before the event was set to kick off. Now, as you can imagine, that photo caused shockwaves on online and in the racing community and it quickly resulted in the suspension of one of the most successful Birdsville Cup trainers, Todd Austin, and one of his jockeys, Rick McMahon, just days out from the Birdsville races. Now, an inquiry was launched by the Queensland Racing Watchdog Curric and that inquiry led to charges against the trainer, his wife and the jockey. So that inquiry has just wrapped up. What does it mean for them? What, you know, what were the charges against them and what's the outcome for them? So yes, this inquiry lasted several months. It was held in Brisbane. Now, the jockey Rick McMahon pleaded guilty early in the inquiry to possessing the jigger and also providing false and misleading evidence to the inquiry. But late yesterday afternoon, the news broke that trainer Todd Austin and his wife were found guilty for their role in this animal cruelty scandal. Keurig found that Todd Austin had commissioned an act of cruelty when he engaged the jockey Rick McMahon to ride horse Hellam at the track. Austin and his wife Tony were found guilty of providing false evidence to the stewards. Now all three of them have about a week to provide their submissions before Curic will decide what penalty they have and essentially what lies for their future in Queensland racing. I'd imagine that it would send shockwaves through country Queensland racing. Have you heard anything from people in the racing industry as to what this will all mean? So yes, off the back of kind of this incident that everyone was talking about at the races, we've spoken to kind of racing insiders and also some veterinarians, and they say that this could cast quite a long shadow on bush racing. Now, concerningly, they also say that it's possible that jiggers are more widely used then just this one incident might illustrate. And you were at Birdsville when this happened. Did it take the shine off the event or did things just carry on as per usual? Because it's quite the the celebration, the Birdsville races. It was a strange time to be in Birdsville because Todd Austin, who I mentioned is a, a huge trainer, For the Birdsville Cup, when he was suspended, it wasn't just the one horse helm that was scratched. Several other horses trained by Austin had to pull out, and that resulted in severely reduced numbers racing. In fact, there was even a two-horse race.
1: Really? I didn't realise that. Wow, it's kind of an expression you don't expect it to play out in real time. (laughs) And even though it was a bit
6: strange, people actually were quite entertained by it. So it was a strange mix of emotions and things happening. But um, people obviously still made the most of the event and were happy to see it go ahead. But yes, very strange numbers on the race course. Well, Danielle
1: O'Neill, we appreciate you being across this story for us. And this is just a really interesting outcome to something that was spied in a photograph. Quite incredible. Thank you. And that's Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.